0: On this episode of the Capacity Podcast, we bring you Radhika Vora, a senior manager at Deloitte. She will be discussing her work in operations transformation at Deloitte and some of the qualities a successful consultant should have. She will also be sharing her experience applying for jobs at Deloitte and looking at some of the useful tips to approaching the working world, including her personal top three lessons she has learned throughout her working career. Good morning, good evening, and good night, everybody. I'm Ryan Lee, the host of Capacity, the podcast brought to you by 180 Degrees Consulting in the lead up to our annual uh, inaugural 2023 APEC Summit. We are all about helping you unlock your capacity and navigating the recent trends in the APEC region. Today, we have Radhika Vora on with us, who is a senior manager at Deloitte, who has experience in other companies, including PwC, EY, and Accenture. Thanks for joining us today, Radhika.
1: Thanks for having me, Ryan.
0: So I know this is a tough ask of you, but if you were to summarize really, really quickly, what does Deloitte do?
1: Right. OK, so um, look, Deloitte is uh, one of the largest professional services firm in the world, uh, providing a wide range of services to clients across various industries and um, uh, Our service groups are usually grouped into assurance and audit, consulting, financial services, risk advisory, tax, and technology. So there's a fair bit of things that Deloitte does as a professional services firm. Uh, As part of audit and assurance services, we include traditional financial statement audits, as well as internal audit and risk management services. Within our consulting services, Deloitte includes strategy, operations, human capital and technology consulting. These services essentially help organizations address some really complex business challenges, improve performance and drive growth. Uh, and then we've got our financial ad- advisory, risk advisory and tax advisory uh, conference of the firm as well. And serve a variety of clients, including some very large multinational corporations, Medium-sized businesses, government agencies, and small firms. Well,
0: mm. Wow, that's that's really, really a huge handful of uh. This I guess this really, really varied. You know, Deloitte kind of does everything. in. but what is your specific role, maybe in Deloitte? Like, what do you do? Uh, what what's your kind of area of expertise, if you wouldn't mind me asking?
1: Yeah, sure. Look, I'm a part of uh, core business operations. So within that, uh, I belong to a team which is called operations transformations. So I specialize within a group of consulting practices that focuses on helping organizations improve their operational performance. So we provide a range of services that are basically designed to help organizations optimize their operations, reduce costs and improve efficiencies. Uh, some of the key areas of my expertise would be uh, process improvement, Lean Six Sigma, uh, operation strategy. So essentially helping organizations implement Lean and Six Sigma methodologies, to reduce waste, improve quality, increase efficiency, at the same time helping implement effective operation strategies that will enable them to achieve their business objectives. So overall, the team that I'm a part of, essentially helps organizations across various industry sectors to enable and uplift their operational performance by utilizing data-driven, structured, and measurable approach. Does that help?
0: Yeah, it does, it does. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty kind of abstract concept, I guess, like the whole, you know, we're, we're transforming the operations of a company, you know, we're trying to help them function in their day-to-day. But I think maybe some of our listeners might not understand this abstract concept, so if you wouldn't mind sharing, what is maybe one kind of example or a case of an operations transformation that you worked on, you know, so, so our listeners can understand, you know, what is operations transformation, you know, with a real-life example?
1: So in terms of an example of an operations excellence program, uh, one of my past engagements, we basically analyzed the process of managing a deceased estate for a large bank. Their process was quite lengthy it would take uh, more than a few months to analyze and to resolve the deceased matter. The task at hand was to simplify that process and make it simpler for the customers, people like you and me, you know, people like our families to go through this process in limited and very less number of visits to the bank and in a very simplified manner. So in short, looking at this process to make it simpler, uh, improve the quality of customer experience, and increase the efficiency of frontline staff who are dealing with customers like you and I, who are going through a very emotionally challenging times of their lives. This engagement was actually quite close to my heart because I could see that this could possibly be impacting some, uh, some of the members of my family in the near future because we were uh, customers of the bank and um this engagement took well over 3 months took a huge team to get us across the line but we were able to simplify um their processes and uh bring it bring the turnaround time down significantly does that does that help i hope that's a realistic enough example
0: yeah i think that's a great example you know um it's a very real life one is something you know we can all relate to and it's I guess it's a it's a case of really ethical transformations, you know. Uh, we want the we want to make sure. I think no one wants to be in the situation when, uh, you know, someone has just passed away, and you you have to deal with all these issues on top of the grief that you're kind of dealing with at the same time. It's yeah, it's quite a good case, I guess, for operations transformation in like the everyday experience.
1: That's true, and it's it's actually making an impact where it matters. So. To most of our lives where you can actually see that you know this is a tangible impact and this is going to impact people like myself or members of the family so yeah i'm quite quite proud of that engagement and uh, quite proud of the outcome so yeah
0: okay thank you for that Redica. actually i think that's a really interesting project that i think a lot of people would you know want to work with it's it's something that not everyone gets to gets to think about it's a complicated project that is really really uh rewarding if you get it done correctly and i mean this might be something that you know interests people into joining the world of consulting so kind of in your eyes right what are the qualities of a good consultant you know for for all those that want to join the consulting industry
1: uh yeah look i mean there's no one right formula as i would say but it's it's typically a combination of technical expertise Ah, uh, strong problem-solving skills, excellent communication, interpersonal abilities, and uh, the ability to think strategically. So, in terms of technical expertise, if I may break it down, you know that may include your knowledge of a specific industry functions, such as finance or operations, specific tools or methodologies. Now, breaking problem-solving down, it's essentially being able to analyze, define key issues and developing effective solutions. Excellent communication and interpersonal abilities are needed to effectively interact with clients, understand their needs, concerns, and present recommendations. The ability to think strategically is quite important for considering long-term implications of decisions or improvements that we suggest our clients. And on top of all of this, the ability to work in a team and to deal with ambiguity is uh, equally as important
0: okay thanks so I guess summing up all like I, I mean it's really difficult to boil down what a good consultant is right but thanks for kind of boiling it down to these three huge groups now how do you think um, as maybe a university student right who doesn't have that much uh exposure to these kind of three qualities how would one go about developing these skills
1: So you always can start practicing and honing these skills through your interactions on your university levels. You know, a great example is when you work on team assignments and when you have to present it back to your professors. So treat them as your stakeholders, as the clients, you know, treat their needs or their asks or the question at hand as that analyze complex situation that you have to resolve, identifying issues you know, when you have to develop a PowerPoint presentation, or as we call it, a pack in the consulting space. Think about strategically breaking it down, peeling the onion layer by layer. I'm sure you you would have heard this term various times at university. So it's all about practicing and honing these skills at university in a very safe space. So, you know, when you apply to a consulting position, you're able to practice this further in your initial ideas. So you're able to develop this in a more real life scenario.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I think I think it's one of the big myths, that, uh, at, least, at least when I came into university, I felt that it was a world where, you know, it's really unforgiving. If you screw up an assignment, you're gone. But you know, <laughs> actually, it's a lot safer than a lot of people yeah. think. Yeah. You can, make, you can afford to make mistakes because it is, it is just an extension of course of it school is. And it's a very all. safe
1: test bed. You know, you can try again and you can validate a few approaches before you, you know, hit the bullseye.
0: Yeah. I guess that comes in kind of our, our experience applying to internships, uh, applying to jobs, kind of uh, trying to get a summer position as Correct. well. And I'm just curious, right? Like, what was your kind of personal journey into work? Because for us right now as university students, it's just applying to lots and lots and lots of internships and seeing what yeah, sticks. Yeah, absolutely. I
1: mean, look, there's a bit of a structured approach uh, in, you know, applying to a job, let's say, at Deloitte, right? So you would have seen there are multiple online applications open for Deloitte. They would be posted on LinkedIn. They would be posted on job portals within your universities, Um People would usually put their applications in. They would be shortlisted by our talent acquisition consultants. And uh, there would usually be a phone screening involved in the first stage. Once you've cleared the phone screening round, there would be a couple of case rounds. So two case rounds followed by a partner interview. And uh, once you've cleared all three of those rounds, uh, you would be successful. And uh, there would be an offer presented. Now, I know that sounds very easy, but there's a lot of preparation that goes behind that. And um, I would highly recommend, you know, university students who are applying at the moment. There's a lot of cases because um, no two cases are the same in these case rounds. I mean, I even when applying as an experienced professional. I had to practice practice a a lot. And um, yeah, you just need to... Be a bit structured in how you present your solutions and uh, give it your best go, and present your whole self to the interviewer so they can understand who you are, what you bring to the table and assess uh, your 360 degree self, not just uh, your case answers.
0: Well, thanks for the really helpful tips. By the way, I'm sure a lot of our listeners who will use some of these in their, like you know, the upcoming. On job that search. note,
1: Ryan, we actually are recruiting at the moment for our Australian practice in uh, ops ops transformation, and we are recruiting for consultants, for senior consultants and managers. So, if you are keen, and if our listeners are keen, hey, jump on our website or our LinkedIn posts, and uh, I look forward to some extraordinary applications.
0: Yeah, so on that note, right, I know you shared with me previously that you really love working for Deloitte. Why should someone apply to, you know, work in consulting and maybe specifically Deloitte?
1: So at Deloitte, we have reimagined what work looks like, and how we can empower our people to create a work experience that is distinct to their needs, along with the needs of their clients and teams. Now, we are committed in developing working practices that actually support flexibility in terms of when, where, and how we work. And this was something that personally mattered to me. Now, on a personal front, I am a mum to a toddler. He's three years old. I am also doing a part-time MBA, and I work full-time at Deloitte. So to me, time flex, career flex, family flex, leave flex, place flex, culture flex, all of these things were of critical importance and all of these various types of flexes are just a few reasons for why you should be looking at working at Deloitte. Now, there is definitely study flex should you decide to take some time to focus on your study and get some additional degrees done or pursue a CA or a CPA or a CFA. Or you want to make an impact every day to, throughout your paid leave for volunteering or, let's say, donating blood we have got something called a community flex. Or let's say you've got a cultural holiday coming up, or you want to substitute some public holidays to celebrate important religious holidays or cultural days. we have got something called a cultural flex. More than five to eight reasons that I can count and re- repeat to say that, hey, there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of flexibility to bring your 100% to work every day, every single day without thinking. And why you should choose Deloitte as your employer.
0: Okay, then I mean some of our listeners may be interested in Deloitte, but you know, what about the general consulting world in as a whole, right? Why why should someone be a consultant kind of in general?
1: My question is why wouldn't you want to be a consultant? (laughs) So look, I mean if you're starting early in your careers, okay, if you're thinking about your first role. And again, you know, it's when I was first picking my career options. My my father once said to me that um, consulting is like dark chocolate. I'm talking 85% dark chocolate. It's not for everyone. Some, some people have already developed a taste for them. Some people never develop a taste for it. Okay, so uh, it's each to their own, you know. Some people really enjoy the dynamic nature of consulting, the uh, multitude opportunities, the... Uh, expertise the objectivity the fresh perspective that consultants bring to organizations to make better decisions to create everlasting change uh, the unique perspective the outside in view you know those uh, those engagements where you stretch yourselves thin to question and learn new problem-solving skills some people really enjoy that some people don't So again do you like dark chocolate that's my question.
0: Yeah, I guess that was an interesting uh, way of presenting it, right, with the why not a consultant. And I guess that kind of relates to some of the myths people have about consulting. There's the, I mean, there's the one about, you know, consultants work all day and all night. And there's also the one about, you know, consultants take your watch from you and then they create a deck of, they create PowerPoint slides to tell you what time it is. You know, what's your response to that? (laughs)
1: Well, look, you know, all myths are not true, okay? Management consultants are quite valuable resources for organizations. They look at management consultants to improve performance, to achieve their goals. They bring in expertise, objectivity. Uh, There's a fresh perspective. It's an outside in view. People do think at times that consultants are not necessary. Organizations can solve their own problems. Well. While some organizations may have those internal resources to address certain issues, management consultants bring a very unique perspective, those specialized skills and access to best practices and industry benchmarks. They also bring that fresh strategic thinking, those problem-solving skills and industry knowledge, which actually set them aside and set them apart from their peers in within the organizations. So, as I said earlier, myths are not true.
0: Okay. I understand you come from a, a really non-business background, you know, and that's kind of not really typical, I would guess, because you have a bachelor's in technology. So, kind of what motivated you to leave the engineering space and gravitate towards consulting, I guess?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, I When I was growing up, Ryan, I, my father was my role model, and he still is. And I used to look at him working on some really cool engagements and uh, he was a consultant and that sort of encouraged me to take up consulting as a career. He was a consultant within the engineering space. So I took up engineering, obviously I followed my father, but uh, he coached me and guided me towards moving into the strategy space. So I never actually worked as an engineer. Once I finished my bachelor's in technology in engineering, I straight away took up my master's and I did a master's degree specializing in uh, strategy performance uh, and cost management. So it's, it's basically you know looking at my role model and all of those opportunities that he had as a consultant, uh, the very methodical way of approaching um, a problem And, uh, you know, those opportunities to travel around the world as a teenager, all of those things look very exciting. So, that sort of, you know, even motivated me further to become a consultant in my life.
0: Wow, I guess your father kind of really trained you from birth, you know, to become his successor. What was that like? (laughs) That seems like a really interesting childhood, right?
1: (laughs) Hey, look, I'm not going to lie. It was... um, It wasn't always a fun ride, you know. Um, I always used to complain to my dad that uh, you're never happy irrespective of how good I perform. And uh, his answer used to be that, no, no, it's not that I'm not happy. I know you can do better. So he would always be advocating for excellence and championing for those high standards at home. So, you know, promoting high quality outcomes or pursuing outstanding results in everything you do. Cannot always be so much fun. But yes, I mean, now when I look back, it's it's almost like I was being conditioned through you know my teens or my early 20s to be very methodical and deliberate in my approach to a solution and um, to be very detailed oriented and taking time to explore information before I came to a conclusion to strive for quality. I'm going to be honest, it wasn't always fun. But um, I think it's paying off now. I'd like to believe it's paying off now.
0: That's an interesting kind of life lesson to learn, you know, at a very young age, right? To not be that satisfied with really the status quo and to instead keep striving for, I guess, higher planes. Yeah. If that makes sense.
1: Yes, totally so, does.
0: So kind of on this topic of life lessons, right? What are some important life lessons you've learned throughout, I guess, your life, <laughs> including... I guess, your father's kind of like words of wisdom and including some, I guess, some, some points from your career as well.
1: Okay. So, uh, words of wisdom. Oh, I, I won't really say like I don't think I'm that old enough to give words of wisdom, but um, I'll reflect back and I'll say that, you know, in terms of my key learnings over the past uh, 11 to 12 years of my career have been around, uh, one is having a mentor, you know, a great mentor who's a role model a career advisor, a guide, a soundboard, a cheerleader, and this is very important, as well as a constructive critic. So, and to find a mentor, I have always thought of somebody that I've admired in my organization, or you know, somebody who's, let's say, two, uh, within the two degrees of separation. So they can provide that holistic advice and act as that constructive critic to just provide me with the guidance that I need. Now, secondly, to me, having a growth mindset and being able to embrace ambiguity is equally important. Inculcating a habit to learn something new every day, be it as little as loading a printer's cartridge, you really never know when these skills might come handy. And often we find ourselves in situations where the outcome is uncertain and the path to solution is not clear. It's important to be able to comfortable get comfortable with those ambiguous and uncertain situations and to, be, to have the ability to adapt quickly to changing uh, situations. I'm still learning this act. But yeah, embracing ambiguity is the second one and developing that growth. And the last one, which has come from my father and from people who've acted as mentors in my life, is to build an area of expertise whatever that might be, having a deep understanding of something specific, something that sets you apart from your colleagues is quite important and something that you enjoy. So it's, it's not a burden on you. It could be anything. So yeah, have a mentor, develop a growth mindset and embrace ambiguity and be a specialist in an area, any area.
0: Wow. Okay. that's. I guess that's really, really some words of wisdom you have for our audiences. I mean, it's 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 really huge things to aspire to, but I think, you know, it's 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 something we can take small steps to towards achieving in the day to day. It's like, you know, reaching out over LinkedIn to someone you admire to ask them to be a mentor, right? It's it's absolutely. being more comfortable with the unknown.
1: Yes, look, absolutely. You know, if you reach out to people on LinkedIn. You would be surprised how many times people will say yes to mentoring. And people absolutely enjoy sharing their life journey, their lessons learned, their successes with others. So don't shy away, you know, to reach out and ask for help.
0: Yeah, I think that kind of relates to something you're a part of at the moment, which is, uh, I think it was the Access Mentoring Program. So like, what is it? And I guess, uh, what is your specific role in this
1: so the Access Connections Mentoring Program uh, was basically launched in 2014 uh, with about 25 pair of students and alumni mentors uh, within the University of Melbourne. Since then, the program has obviously grown by the years. Uh, the intensive purpose of the program was to improve post-study outcomes for students that were underrepresented in uh, higher education by providing them an alumni mentor. I have been a part of this program since 2015 and since then I have mentored over five students for a smooth transition into the workforce. Um, I think as of today um, approximately 300 Access Melbourne students have partnered with alumni mentors and it's a huge program for University of Melbourne. So it's essentially you know there are multiple meetings that you would have with your mentees focusing on career planning and advice to build confidence employability of students when they transition into workforce or any further guidance that they might need with their resumes or how to present themselves what specific firms all those initial hiccups that you know students might have and somebody who's in the industry to help them overcome these initial challenges
0: oh yeah there sounds some uh this sounds really similar to something that we have ongoing in Singapore which is this uh huge kind of uh national movement towards mentoring i think it's called uh mentoring sg and uh it was yeah it was in- encouraging a lot of young people and working professionals to partner up in in kind of exactly what the mentoring program is like you know sharing expertise helping young people find find their way around life especially in a in a period of large transformation you know
1: that's fantastic. That's, that's really good.
0: Okay, Radhika, I think we've come to the end of our session. I would just like to ask you if you had one message kind of for our audience to take away a nice 10-second uh, nice message. What would it be?
1: So uh, a career advice to my younger self would be dream big. However, make sure you have a well-planned defined path on how to achieve that dream. John Barrymore, the actor, was quoted as saying, A man is not old until regrets take the place of dreams. Thank you, Ryan. This is fantastic.
0: Yeah, that's really, really good advice. I think, you know, it's it's about it's about dreaming big and being ambitious while making sure you're down to earth and grounded at the same time. So really thank you, Redika, for coming on a podcast. Once again, I've been Ryan, your host for today. And this has been the 180DC Apex Summit podcast, Capacity. Thank you so much for listening.